Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to This Little Light, a podcast about falling in love with music, hosted by me, Flea, and produced by Cadence 13 and Parallel. Today's guest is musician Sheila E. It's so important. You can learn how to play. You can read music. Some people, you take the sheet music away, and they don't know what to do. They're lost. And so I tell them to utilize both. Learn how to read, play your music, take the music away. What would you play from your heart? Because that's how I learned how to play, from my heart. Sheila E. is an amazing woman. She's played with George Duke, Marvin Gaye, Herbie Hancock, Diana Ross, most famously Prince, who produced her massive hit single, The Glamorous Life. Sheila E. is a drummer, a timbali player, a percussionist player, a singer, a dancer, an entertainer. She absolutely rocks. She's been a person who, in a mostly male-dominated field, has absolutely staked her claim ferociously. She grew up in a salsa family. Her father is a great percussionist, Pete Escovito. She is a force of nature. She is Sheila E., and it was really exciting to speak with her and to hear about her coming up and her process. What's exciting to me about all of these podcasts that are about music education is everybody's journey is so different. In this conversation with Sheila E., we enjoy, and she takes us to a place of her childhood, where she grew up, and how music was all around her. It was constantly like just seeping into who she was as a person. Her fathers, her uncles, all of her family, everybody played in the house all the time. And when it came time for her to articulate, to develop the physical skill, it was all there. It was this education that was just from having an open heart and music being a dialogue, a conversation, a constant thing all around her. It's like when you're a little kid, and you know, you ever meet a little kid that speaks five different languages because it was just all around them? That's how it is with her, with music. And all she needed to do was pick up a stick and start playing it, and it just oozed out of her. Sheila E., this is amazing. When are we going to throw down some serious funk, Sheila? Whenever. I'm ready. So, Sheila... I don't know if you know, I, I started a nonprofit music school about 20 years ago. It's called the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music. And um, the reason that I started doing this podcast was, it's really, it's to benefit the school, but, but specifically also about music education, because every single person, and I meet so many musicians from, you know, like someone who knows nothing, doesn't even know what a scale is or an eighth note to someone who's, you know, plays with the, a philharmonic or someone who's a deeply sophisticated jazz musician. And everybody has a different way. You know, everyone has a different educational path. And I feel like every single one of them is, is so interesting, fascinating to me, and so valid, you know. And I, I'm really excited to speak with you today because I know you come from a, 
um, a really vibrant musical background. You grew up around music. And, uh, and so I really want to speak with you today about your development as a musician and how you learned to play, how you got excited to play, all, all of that. So I just, I guess my, my first question to you is, um, what are your earliest memories about being stimulated by music and what it did to you, you know? Yeah. Um, my dad, Pete Escovito, legendary Latin timbali percussionist. I guess growing up listening to him was very inspiring, which I didn't know then, you know, because he would, it was normal for me to hear music in the house daily. So he would practice to music and the artists that he loved and inspired him every day. And then throughout the week, he would sometimes have like jam sessions with other percussionists. So we had music, you know, and musicians in the house all the time. And again, for me, like that was growing up like that, it was normal. I just thought most kids had music, you know, instruments in their home, um, bands rehearsing, jam sessions, parties. I thought that was the norm, especially in the Bay Area where I grew up. I mean, definitely that's kind of what got me started, even though I didn't know I was interested in playing music. I just loved listening to my dad and 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 he brought Latin jazz into the home because that's who he is as a as an artist. But then uh, he brought in jazz, and then I was nine years old, going into the third grade or in the third grade, and he said to me, uh, "I think you should learn how to play a different instrument." Now I didn't know I was learning to play percussion. I just if, if he got up, I would start playing, kind of listening to what he had played. So. At nine years old, musically, uh, he wanted me to play violin, of all things. Violin was <laughs> so far from percussion. I was like, violin, daddy, that's not even cool. <laughs> so I ended up playing violin, which I loved. So bringing in classical music. And at that time, growing up in the Bay Area, listening to uh, a lot of the artists that lived there. So we, could, we would catch the bus down to Berkeley or somewhere in Oakland, my brothers and I, and sit on the on the the block listening to like Sly Stone practice or Grateful Dead or Grand Central Station, Pointer Sisters, whomever. We heard that someone was rehearsing. We would go and catch the bus and hang out out on the street and um, people would just kind of hang out and listen. So growing up, being inspired by all of that has created and influenced me to be the artist that I am now. So when you, that's awesome. When you started, did you get a violin and start playing it? Or did you just rebel and say, no, I'm hitting on the skins? No, um, I, third grade, he just said, I want you to play. So we spoke to the teacher and she said, yeah, we have a, a music class and you can learn violin. So I took violin, actually had a violin that I brought home and played every day. Like literally play. And I just, Last year, my parents bought me a new violin so that I could start playing again. <laughs> They're still at it. They're still like, quit. Ever like, so slightly. <laughs> they still have hopes for you like to uh, be playing Bach on that violin. Right. <laughs> so you started playing the violin. That was the first instrument. You had been around listening to your dad playing. And, and was that mostly like his groups or different musicians that he was playing with or just jamming or was he putting together live shows, rehearsing to make records, all of that, right? It was all of it, yeah. 
he was practicing just to practice so that, you know, he practiced every day to get his chops together. Um, a lot of the bands that he listened to were from New York or Cuba, Puerto Rico, a lot of Latin jazz and salsa. Fania, well, well, Fania All-Stars weren't there, but, you know, Eddie Palmieri, Tito Puente, Celia Cruz, Mongo Santa Maria, uh, Charlie Palmieri. Yeah, it was a lot of, like, that kind of music. Um, and then he would, and, and then later on, well, he had a band with his two brothers called the Escovito Brothers. And so my dad played congas. My other uncle played uh, timbales, and they would switch. And then my other uncle played bass. I, I love that music so much. I, you know, Machito and, mm-hmm. and, and all the funny, like Larry Harlow, Eddie Palmieri. So when you started playing percussion, did you go to the timbales like your dad? Or did you get on a trap set right away and just say, I want to play a, a drum set? No, I am... Um... I just played congas. Congas was really my first instrument. I didn't play timbales until later on, like in my teenage years. Um, and I really didn't play drums until, I mean, I would sit and get on the drums when the drummer would get off the drums, you know, play, practicing at my dad's house. But I think it wasn't until Billy Cobham came to San Francisco and saw my dad and I playing at a club called The Reunion in San Francisco. And he heard us playing. And he said, I want to produce you and your dad. Well, my, he told my dad, I want to produce you and your daughter. He said, I'll be back in about four months and I'll come back and do the record. Which we said, okay, great. But we didn't believe he was going to come back. He did. We did the record. It was called Solo 2. It was all percussion. But watching Billy Cobham play, I learned so much by watching him. When he'd get up and stop playing. I would kind of try to mimic, but I didn't really start playing drums till later on in my, Yeah, I, I, it was late. I didn't get on the drums till later. And then playing with George Dukas, I played the one song, Reach For It, Dukie Stick on drums because Ndugu Chancellor at the time wanted to go out and sing that song since he was kind of like the cold singer. So he said, come on, E, you can play drums. I was like, yeah, sure. So just, you know, just playing two and four, the funk, I mean, to me, that was easy. And that was my first time playing. I played in my dad's band a little bit, but that was my first time playing like that until later on. Yeah. So when you started, you know, you're a kid and you're laying down grooves and it was just an organic, natural language to you because you had been around it all the time. It's just like, this is what people do. We play rhythms. and. But was there any specific teacher? Was it your dad or anyone who was like, okay, you, your wrists go like this. You got to be loose with your arms here. You know, when you want to do a quick fill or when you want to, you know what I mean? Like when to solo, when to vamp, when to do all these things that, you know, all the terms that musicians use to do that stuff. Was your dad your main teacher like that? Or did you just figure it out on your own? Or was everybody always telling you stuff? How did that develop? I think watching my dad, I learned a lot in the way that he played. but. So say we're looking at each other now, and if you raised your right hand, I looked at you in the mirror, I would raise my left hand because I thought, okay, his right hand is going up, my left hand is going to go up. So it was a mirror image. His left hand would go up my right hand. So while he was playing, I played on my lap. Yeah. So it, no, he didn't even know for ever that I was even doing that. He just watched me play and was just like, whatever I heard, I would mimic 
It didn't look the same, but it sounded the same. It was my right. way of doing it. So we were self-taught. He was self-taught as well. Yeah. And yeah. so we just learned on our own. Right. That's so great. I, I, you know, my, my education is pretty similar, different music, but I was like a, a, a family that had no music around. But then when I was, I think, six or seven, my mom left my dad and remarried a jazz musician who just played wow. straight bebop. Yeah, just straight bebop, you know? Wow. And I remember when I was a little boy and the first time I saw, like, he, we were in New York and he's playing a jazz machine in the 60s in New York. And all of a sudden I'm seeing these guys like, bam, through bebop. And I'm watching these rhythms, you know, and I just was taken over. You know, I remember I fell on the floor. I'm rolling around. I'm just like, oh my God, like it was like magic and it changed my life forever. And it's still like inside me, it's that thing that I reach for, that feeling, you know, just that feeling of just joy of like being completely free, you know? Right. And, and everything that I've ever done ever since is always me reaching for that, you know? And I, like for me, I mean, I, I didn't, from a pretty young age, I was basically a street kid. You know, I was pretty wild. I was in a lot of trouble. I was doing dumb crimes. Just, and music was the one place for me that was a sanctuary. It was like where everything made sense. Right. You know, right. like people always think, oh, you got to play music. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. Like, what kind of life is that? And I was like, this is the one thing that is not ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, this is the one place of like, connection and things making sense and camaraderie and me connecting with people in a really beautiful way. And, and it, it really like gave me a light to reach for in the world. Otherwise, I don't know what would have happened, you know, like drugs right. and crime and craziness. So I just wonder like what place when you were young that music took for you in regards to just you as a human being and your development as a human being. Uh, I would say that probably when I was 15, I played this one show with my dad, and it was just the most amazing thing I'd ever done. I didn't know that that was my gift because I was at before then, I was in a bunch of mess as well. Joined a couple of gangs because I had to, you know, just bad, but I was also training to be in the Olympics. I wanted to win a gold medal in the Olympics. So, well, what sport? Track and field, sprint runner. That's what I wanted to do. Was was run, you know. I just knew that I was going to win a gold medal. It was my dream. It was my passion, I thought. I was very competitive. I loved to, to win. And I was breaking records in school that had not been broken in 20 years running track. Wow. Yeah, so I was fast. Yeah. And then this one gig comes along and pops his other percussion player at the time got sick, so I played the show with Pops and it was just like, oh, my God, so amazing to be able to, first of all, play with your dad in an 18-piece band in front of 3,000 people. And that was like the biggest thing I had ever done. And the musicianship, the level had to be like up here. You know, I knew all the songs. I went in not rehearsing at all because I knew everything by heart. And um, he trusted me to do so. And I played that show. And I took this solo. And it was just like an out-of-body experience. I'm playing, I closed my eyes, and I just went in. 
Next thing you know, I see I see myself looking at myself in the venue with the people. I'm like, where did I just go? What is happening? Like, this is crazy. And I'm playing. I opened my eyes. I didn't even know where I was. I heard the roar of the audience. And all of a sudden, I could hear the band coming back in my head. Like, I didn't even know. And I was still taking a solo. And I looked at my dad and I started like shaking. And I I was like, I don't even know what happened. He's like looking at me like, what? What the heck? And I just started shaking. And I was starting to cry. And I'm like, oh, my God, what just happened? And then after the show, I ran to him and I was like, daddy, daddy, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to go out on tour with you. I want to be a musician. He's like, no, you know, <laughs> no. But then we hugged and we cried and we cried. He said, I had no idea that you knew that much, which I didn't know either. That was the one time that everything just like, whoa, exploded. Yeah. It's like those moments where I don't think, you know, I think people are always looking for God, you know, in all these ways. And if there's anything I've learned, like in my own spiritual path, is that it's never where you expect it. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Like the big lessons, the big awakenings, it's always, you know, when you just surrender. Right, exactly. And you're not thinking about it and you let, let, let it take you. That's where the magic is, you know. I can't help but to sit there thinking like how fucking cute you must have been. <laughs> little, little, little Sheila just, oh man. It was amazing. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, Sheila describes how her parents' unwavering support shaped her musical pursuits and how she honed her performance skills entertaining people in her childhood home. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, you're playing, I mean, with the, your dad and the musicians that he's playing with and someone like Billy Cobham. I mean, you're playing with musicians that are at the highest level of virtuosity, not just virtuosity, but vision, like people who are looking ahead. They're not tied by like what school taught them or something. They're just, you know what I mean? Like cosmic connection to what's possible. Um, that's a big lesson in itself, too. And I, you know, I'm all for book learning and academics and all that. Like, don't get me wrong, but there's something about learning and about freedom and about like, okay, yeah, you learn all the technique and stuff, but you learn it so you can be just use it as colors to paint and to get outside of, you know, a grid or a system of 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 uh, what's supposed to be right or correct, you know. Um, and I'm a runner also, but I didn't start running until I'm, I mean, I'm 59 and I didn't start running until my 40s, but I started running marathons. And, but all through my childhood, I've always been very physical. Like I grew up playing basketball every day, basketball, basketball, basketball. And for me, the physicality of playing music is everything. Like, like, and I, believe me, I care so much about being good. You know what I mean? My trumpet, my bass, my piano. 
Like, I just want to play. I want to, I'm a humble student of music. But physicality is a big part of it for me. Like, when I'm playing bass, like, if I'm going to lean back behind the groove, you know, my body's a certain way. If I want to sit right in the middle of the kick drum, you know, like, right there. If I assume if I'm leaning ahead, you know what I mean, to push it ahead, the way my body moves dictates everything. And I have all these moves. And keeping my body moving and athleticism and, like, I feel like to channel light, my mind works better, all that stuff. I got to keep my body moving. And I wonder if that's something for you too. Like, because you're talking about running and you're aiming for a gold medal. I don't think it's an accident that at that time you're able to let go and go play a solo that you channel God. Absolutely, 100%. Um, after playing with my dad, I ended up going out on tour with George Duke. And that changed my life too because. He was playing so many different types of music uh, that it allowed me to grow as a musician. And he said to me, I'm never going to tell you, E, what to play. You just play whatever because you know what you're doing. And it taught me to play different time signatures, like with Billy. Um, Also, George would play not just funk, but he would play Brazilian music. He loved Brazilian music, and I love Brazilian music. Brazilian gospel. Uh, he jazz, jazz, he played everything, you know. And so because of that, I was able to learn a lot. And the shows that he would play um, allowed me to meet other artists. So I started meeting other artists and that's how I got more more gigs or, you know, recordings. People would see me play with, with George and that opened the door as well. Was part of your learning driven by like, just a hunger to survive. I know for me, like I grew up um, not having a lot. And like when I was a kid, I got two pants, two pairs of shirts a year. You know what I mean? That was it. You know, we didn't have a lot of money, you know, so no one was going to do it for me. Like I had to get out and work. And when I decided, okay, what I'm going to do is play music because I love it. And I just, what else am I going to do? Like, do you feel like everything just kind of flowed organically or were you also really driven to have a career and you were going to do whatever it took to make it happen? Was that part of it too or no? Well, I was driven as a person in general because I always wanted to win. Very competitive. And when I figured out that music was going to be it, it was a gift. It's like, I'll do whatever. Can I play? Can I play? Can I? I was begging people. Can I play? Can I sit in? And initially, if someone offered me money to play, I'm like, no, 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 I don't need to get paid. It's fine. We grew up not having much either. I remember having the same pair of shoes forever. I was telling a friend of mine the other day that I had to use that white paste that you would put on those buck shoes to paint over the white. I had to wear those. And I remember just putting so much white because we couldn't afford another pair of shoes that it would just start cracking, you know? And it's like, well, I mean, You know, we had very little, but we didn't know that it was little because my parents, you know, they gave us everything. Love was the first thing. Music, you know, it kept us going in that. So I think that drive was like, I just want to play when I realized, oh, my God, I could do this like that out of body experience. I felt at that moment that if this is what heaven feels like, I want to be in heaven every single day. And so if that means heaven means. I get to play no matter what, then I'm going to do that. So 
yeah, it was that drive, but it was always because of my mom as well. I mean, both my parents, but my mom, I was like, you can do and be whatever you want to do and be. We are going to support you. But, you know, she was she's very competitive and still to this day, they both are. But it's like, go and do it. If you're going to do it, do it. Give it 110 percent. And we, we grew up like that. Whatever we did, we're going like this. That's how we're starting. It's not gradually. We are going there and that's it. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I, you know, I can't, I hope you know how fortunate you are to have had that loving support Absolutely. from your parents and from people around yeah. you. That's awesome. I mean, uh, that's the best teacher. I mean, love is the great teacher. For me, there's really only two kinds of music. And, and I'm someone who listens, I listen to everything, Sheila. Jazz, African music, Brazilian music, reggae, classical music. You know, I, I just love music. I, I love human expression. Um, but to me, there's really only two kinds of music. There's soulful music and non-soulful music. Like people expressing their truth, you know, to touch hearts. And then people are just kind of hustle to get a buck, you know what I mean, with formulas, you know. So I, you know, I love it all. I explained a lot of my young people that I mentor a little bit and to be open to listening to all types of music because you never know something's going to hit you in a different way and you, you would have never thought, you know. And then it, those influences help you to become the person that you are. If you're stuck in one place, sometimes you're able not to grow into, you know, you get stuck and you're, you're musically not going to grow, you know, but just being open to listening to other genres of music. And, and again, like we did growing up, the same thing, everything, we listen to everything and we still do. Yeah. I think, yeah. Being open-minded too. like, I know it was really difficult for, so, you know, my stepdad, who was a jazz musician, and and uh, he grew up, you know, loving Charlie Parker and Monk and Dizzy Gillespie and all the great bebop musicians. And then come like the 60s, people didn't really care. I mean, that music, obviously people cared. I don't mean to say it like that. But all of a sudden, he couldn't make a living doing it. You know what I mean? Like he was playing like, you know, Latin cruise lines and hotels and lounges like doing these these kind of shitty gigs um and he was just really accomplished you know sophisticated musician and a lot of the community the jazz community that he grew up in they looked down on you know rock music or these guys that were starting to play fusion like billy cobham and all this really music but they looked down oh no the real right, jazz right. is this and and kind of made themselves hurt themselves by looking down on what things were changing and evolving. And I feel like, especially like I even see it myself now, like I looked at like all this electronic music and I'll be like, well, they don't jam. You know, we play live to tape in a room and we improvise. You know what I mean? Like, like, that's not smart. You know what I mean? Because there's always going to be someone within the, this other context that's going to be brilliant and doing something absolutely beautiful. And how important it is to be open-minded as a musician to things evolving and changing and seeing the beauty in things instead of being judgmental about defending your turf about what you know already, you know? Yeah, no, that's really important. I mean, technology, I remember when disco came out and all the drummers were like, we're never going to play again. I'm like, are you kidding? I love technology. I love incorporating technology and the drum machines with what I'm playing. It would, I could program something that I probably wouldn't even play live. And then adding on top of that is important. 
and and I understand, you know, even the playing the cruises and stuff. I know many musicians that have gone that way. They just want to play. But I know for a lot of musicians, they, especially young musicians, they start off and they look at, you know, people who they love. And oftentimes, you know, it's uh, people who are really commercially successful, you know, um, icons, you know, or people who are trendy in the moment or whatever, but they see things that are popular and they want to be that. And I know, like, obviously, you know, you became a, a massive pop star. You're Sheila E. But before any of that happened, you had this really solid grounding in, in music, you know, in a, in a, you know, very soulful, very deep, very varied and diverse music. And when pop stardom came along, it seems like it evolved very naturally. Like it wasn't like, oh my God, I'm a pop star. It's like, or I mean, I don't know how it was for you. And how did that work in your development of like being a good player? But then there's this other thing too, like visual component, entertainer, um, all of these things that, you know, that you do and being a woman in a, um, in an environment that is very male dominated. Um, and I, you know, from afar, have, have always seen you as a really strong woman who was able to navigate all that with a lot of power and, and dignity and, um, and also like owning your sexuality, owning all that. And I'm wondering how did that, like, how did that come and how does that relate to like flowing organically as your belief in yourself as a musician? Yeah, it wasn't fairly easy at the beginning, but being a woman playing like a so-called man's instrument. I mean, I was awful things, awful things being said, you know, it was just not cool, but um, the transition came and made it fairly easy because listening to um, my dad play, watching other bands and then being inspired by a lot of the R and B soul funk music. Um, when my dad, I think I was nine, my dad brought uh, a Sammy Davis Jr. album to the house. And when I heard that record, I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Sammy Davis Jr. He did this whole monologue at the beginning of the record. And I, I learned that entire record from the beginning to the end in about a week, seven days. It wasn't like listening to the drums, but mainly I was listening to the overall, what he was doing, how, we, how he was speaking to the audience involving the band and then watching him live on television. I mean, he was the ultimate entertainer to me. So I love that he played all kinds of instruments. He danced. Um, I just grew up in that environment of always entertaining. And so it, it came easy because our family is huge. And so the gatherings from the, for the family parties and stuff like that, oh my God. It was insane. So my brothers and I and my mom, of course, sometimes my dad, but we would be the ones to get up and start singing and dancing and mimicking to the Jackson Five or Stevie Wonder or the Supremes, Temptations, whomever. And we would just mimic and do this whole, you know, we would go, dun, 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 dun. okay, let's go. And this time when my mom would sing that, we would all rush to the living room and it's time to perform. So performing in front of people, we were basically used to that because we did it growing up. Um, but the singing and playing and dancing, I think, was very important because I love to do all, all three, singing, playing, and dancing. And I know that 
I love to help the audience feel like they're involved. Like I'm inviting you to my house. We're in the living room hanging out like I used to do at my parents' house. And we would just entertain. And that's how I look at it. It's like it's the same thing. And I want them to get involved as we're singing, we're dancing, we're playing, we're having fun. You know, I don't want it to be like, you can't touch me as VIP only. No, you can come into my house. I'm going to serve. You guys might be eating dinner. We'll eat after, but we're going to entertain you while you're eating. Whatever. You know, we grew up that way. That's so cool. So it was natural. Entertaining was just natural. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of had a similar thing. Like when my stepdad would have his jams at the house, like all the jazz guys would come over. My mom would cook, you know, barbecue. They'd all be hanging out, smoking weed, playing all day. You know, they eat a little bit, hang out, get back up, start playing. And um, my childhood was pretty tumultuous. But those moments were the happiest moments of my entire childhood that I'll never forget. And I was so in awe of the musicians, you know, who were the first adults in my life that had, they were interested in me. They would sit and talk to me, joke with me. They, you know what I mean? Like, and when I first started playing the trumpet and I'd come up and do a little solo, whatever, like, you know, yeah, you know, like they were there for me. And I can only imagine like that, that must've been, that's so great. You oh, know? it was amazing, amazing. After the final break, we hear about Sheila's unique experience playing so often with her dad and brothers and how improvisation has been so critical to the musical growth of both Flea and Sheila. You, you mentioned that you mentor kids playing music and stuff. And for a youngster wanting to play any instrument, any style of music in any context, you know, is there any advice that you have for a young musician starting out? Um, I mean, times are different than when I grew up playing and I would always, you know, learn by watching in person people play. And then my biggest lesson was always jamming with other people. That was what we did. It was let's go over so-and-so's house. Let's go play in the garage, the living room. Let's go outside to the park and play. Playing like that and learning and jamming with other people is how I learned how to play. And the thing is, is I think, you know, some of it comes into play right now with social media. Like you can go on YouTube, oh my God, and, and play and learn all kinds of instruments by playing and having teachers live on Zoom. So I think the biggest lesson for me uh, was always interacting with other people and not just sitting in a room and playing where you don't get your social skills together and then you don't realize what it's like to play with someone else. It's so important. You can learn how to play. You can read music. Some people, you take the sheet music away and they don't know what to do. They're lost. And so I tell them to utilize both. Learn how to read, play your music, take the music away. What would you play from your heart? Because that's how I learned how to play, from my heart. What would you play without looking at the music? Close your eyes if you ha have to, you know? Um, but yeah, that's the beginning part. Yeah, that's how I learned too. Yeah. I mean, I would just get together in a room with my friends. And even now, like I'm, you know, the Chili Peppers were... We get in a room and we're getting ready to do this big stadium tour, right? And we just jam like all we've ever done. Like 
Like, yeah, we can memorize. We know how the songs go. You know what I mean? And we play them and get the right. chops up and remember the arrangements and dynamics and all that. But the big thing is I just pick up, start playing any bass line, any whatever comes to mind, you know, something funky, something jazzy, whatever it is, you know, I might have been listening to Larry right. Harlow, you know what I mean, the night before. And then we all just jam. And I'm listening and maybe the guitar player's angry today. So he's playing something kind of angry. So, oh, okay, let me, let me react to that. Like my nervous system, what does it do? Or I might be feeling whatever, but just improvisation. And within the context of that oh, improvisation boy. where you're not playing as a means to an end, you're not playing just to put something together. That's where you discover yourself and that's where you discover each other. And like, it's funny, like I was thinking the other day, you know, my drummer in the Chili Peppers, Chad, we've been playing together. He joined the band in, I think, 88, 89, something like that. We started in 83. Um, and he and I, we don't really have a verbal relationship. We don't talk that much. We don't even hang out that much outside of the band. You know, we love one another and stuff, but, you know, it's just how our lives are. And, but I, I can't tell you the thousands of hours I've spent just looking at him in the eye, knowing, like, one little raised eyebrow, like, we're going to lay back right here, and we're going to bring it down, and we're going to lay back, and then we're going to build it up when the bridge ends to explode like a volcano. You know what I mean? Into the next <laughs> part. Right, uh, right. And it's all telepathic. And when you're jamming with people, that's it. That's what you're learning how to do. And, and those conversations are, sometimes I feel more profound than a verbal conversation could ever be. Yeah. No, it, it, that is so, it's the same for us with my family, even with my band members. There's an important part, an element of being in a band where you have to make sure that we all get along because what happens off stage should be on stage where we're happy together. But my brothers and I, my dad, we don't have to say anything. We just look like, here comes a break. We're getting ready to go somewhere. The band, I stop, I slow them down. I speed them up. It's like, and whatever you feel like playing at that time to improvise, what do you feel? That's the, like, we're creating music right now, live in front of you, everyone. That's a, it's a beautiful moment. It feels great. And we're going into things that we would never normally go into you know, recreating or writing new music right there on the spot. And that's just, it's so inspiring. Yeah. And that's how I learned really, was just doing that, doing it for five hours, six hours, just playing, playing, playing. Right. <laughs> and, and also it's like, there's an element of risk. You make yourself vulnerable because sometimes you may be, okay, let's go into this improvisation. It might be awful. <laughs> uh, exactly. I mean, yeah. Sometimes it's usually okay, but, but when it's great, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. So Sheila, I think we got it. You know, you're awesome. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. And your educational path is one of a kind, that's for sure. <laughs> and I think, you know, finding, you know, love and family and community within the context of a music education is so cool to hear about and to see and um, keep spreading that goodness and those rhythms. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I'm just, I'm honored to be on your show, but not only that, just to be able to call you friend. You're just an amazing bass player, 
musician, everything. Uh, but more importantly, you're an incredible man, a, a person with a big heart. I love you so much. And I just really appreciate you. And I love all the things that you do. And I can't wait for us to play again together. Yeah, we got to play. <laughs> I know we jammed once in some like funny place. I, I can't remember even what it was. I think it was at a a, a college. I think it was. Was Stevie Wonder there? He might have been. Yeah, it was yeah. A, an event of some kind. Like, yeah, I would love yeah. to just get together and play and write some music or whatever sometime. And that would be great. Improvise and, Absolutely. and play. Absolutely. Yeah, okay, cool. So, thanks, Sheila. I love you. I love you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sheila E. As always, thank you for listening to This Little Light, a podcast that exists to benefit the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music, a nonprofit music school based in Los Angeles, California. This Little Light is a presentation of Cadence 13, executive produced by Flea, Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13, and parallel partners Ken Cow, Nicholas Gonda, and me, Jocelyn Florence. The show's lead producer is Julia Smith, with engineering by Ryan Martz. Our show's original theme music is composed by Flea himself. Special thanks to Chris LaSalle, Alex Barron, Ian Turner, Michelle Moses, and Jennifer Ray and her entire team at the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music. Listen and follow This Little Light, a presentation of Cadence 13, on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.